It's been a year of action, a year of results. It's been a year of promises made and promises kept. Vice President Mike Pence makes a rare visit to Minnesota this week, talking up new tax cuts and talking about the robust economy. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm Kevin Dorn in this week for Tom Hauser. People who were there say Vice President Pence's visit really felt a lot like a campaign event. Kirsten Swanson has more on the Vice President's speech and why we could be hearing a lot more of the same thing from Republicans. In the life of businesses and families... Vice President Mike Pence quickly pointed out how the Trump administration's recent tax cut package is impacting people in the state. You know, when you add it all together, all told, we think these tax cuts will save the typical family of four here in Minnesota about $3,000 a year in your taxes. The tax cuts, they make a real difference in our lives. Mike Thonebold from Cocado tells me his employer is passing those benefits along. They've been able to give us a bonus and it's it's really cool. Um, it really hits home in your paycheck. During his stop in the Twin Cities, the vice president told supporters the tax cuts created more opportunity. Since election day, businesses across this state have created 7,600 new good-paying manufacturing and construction jobs all across this state. Supporters say the speech energized them. The Trump administration is wanting to make sure that us, us forgotten people are heard. And Republicans say Pence chose to highlight Minnesota for a reason. We are one of the most important states this election cycle on a national federal level and also on a state level with the open governor's race. But opponents didn't stop from firing back at the VP's claims about the tax cuts. DFL party chairman Ken Martin released this statement saying in part it takes from hardworking Minnesotans to give massive tax breaks to the wealthy. DFL Representative Betty McCollum responded to Pence's visit, saying the sunny vision of the Trump administration that Vice President Mike Pence told Minnesotans today is completely at odds with the stormy reality. Kirsten Swanson, 5 Eyewitness News. We all know this will be a big campaign year, and Pence's visit to Minnesota may be a hint of what's ahead. Political expert Larry Jacobs of the University of Minnesota says the state will be in play for Republicans during the midterm elections. Strikingly, when the Republicans look at the congressional map, they see a lot of potential wins in Minnesota, even though Republicans may lose some races back on the East Coast. Minnesota will have two open congressional seats in the upcoming election. Democrat Tim Walz is giving up his first district seat to run for governor. And Democrat Rick Nolan is retiring from his eighth district seat. President Trump won both districts in the 2016 presidential election. Governor Dayton's pushing to extend funding for pre-K programs in Minnesota. He wants the legislature to make one-time funding approved last year permanent so every child can attend free pre-K programs. As Jessica Miles reports, the governor says more kids will lose out if this money isn't approved. All right, it is time to go to active learning. At Maxfield Elementary School in St. Paul, these young students enjoy music, art, and writing. There are 40 four- and five-year-olds at this school benefiting from the one-time allotment of pre-K money the district received. But these classes could soon disappear. I can't believe that we're actually facing the possibility of taking this crucial opportunity away from our schools. Sarah Berkland is a pre-K teacher at Maxfield. Without these preschool programs, we would be missing the chance to teach our youngest learners during one of the most important times of their brain development. 59 school districts across the state with current pre-K programs are hoping for continued funding. In Bloomington, that would be $280,000. Without it? It would be devastating to my families. 
um, based on the needs of my families. I have a lot of low income. Um, it would be devastating to them if they didn't have that opportunity. The ask this year is for an additional $25 million each year with a 5% growth factor onto that. Education Commissioner Brenda Caselia says that 5% would expand access to hundreds more students. This is about the children. It's about getting the adults out of the way. Governor Dayton is urging lawmakers to approve the money, saying doing so would benefit at least 4,000 early learners. What the kids need is the opportunity to be part of a quality program wherever it should be and, and get the benefit of it. Jessica Miles, 5 Eyewitness News. If the legislature doesn't approve additional money for pre-K funding, it would lapse for the 2019 school year. Republicans issued a statement saying, quote, we are proud to have worked with the governor to boost proven early learning programs that target resources to the children who need them most. And they add they are looking forward to discussions with Minnesota's next governor about this. Perhaps an indication the governor is a lame duck, and this is his last year in office. House Republicans have unveiled a $50 million package aimed at improving school safety in Minnesota, and many of the bills are already making their way through the hearing process at the Capitol. They include more funding for school resource officers, building security upgrades, mental health access, and suicide prevention training for teachers. Earlier this month, Governor Dayton proposed $21 million in new funding for school security and improvements to mental health services. The chair of the House Education Committee says she's talked with school districts, and some say they're ready to move forward on their own, but others will need help. Some schools are pretty well positioned on their physical safety uh, needs, and some really aren't. And so we need to provide various uh, tools for them to deal with this. So I think that's going to take probably closer to $50 million. One topic the packages of bills does not address is guns in schools, and that has certainly become a big topic since the deadly school shootings in Parkland, Florida last month. House DFLers are critical of that and say the Republican package does nothing to address gun violence prevention. Meanwhile, DFL senators have also unveiled dozens of proposals on gun violence and school safety, and it comes after a student-led rally at the Capitol and in Washington, D.C. last weekend. In St. Paul, the crowd was estimated at 20,000. They showed up demanding action on gun control. However, Republican committee leaders voted against the package of bills halting their progress. DFL lawmakers now want individual hearings on their bills. This is an issue with strong believers on both sides. But if we can't discuss this acute and excruciating tragedy in the committee rooms of the state legislature, then why do they bother to send us here? I think we need more than an informational hearing. Uh, we need action this year, and there is time. Deadlines for bills to make it through at least one committee have already passed. DFL lawmakers say the majority party sets those deadlines, and they can also modify those deadlines if they want. A bill to crack down on distracted driving in Minnesota is moving forward. It would allow drivers to use cell phones, but only in voice-activated or hands-free mode. The head of the state patrol says this bill would allow troopers to enforce the law. Families testified before lawmakers saying it's an important step, but they want more done to put an end to distracted driving. The driving has just gotten so much worse, and with the advent of this damn thing, the selfish entitlement mentality is just taken over. If the bill becomes law, drivers caught using their cell phones behind the wheel could get a fine of $225. It now heads to the Senate Transportation Committee. Every hotel worker in Minnesota could soon be trained to spot signs of sex trafficking. 
This training already is offered by many hotels, but a new bill making its way through the state capitol could make the training mandatory and it within 90 days of a new employee being hired. And then the training would be required every year after that. Sex trafficking survivors believe hotel workers can make a big difference if they know what to look for. There's a lot of us that that's our first place of contact where trafficking begins. I remember just thinking about the person at the desk. Do you know what just happened to me? Could you have just looked up or said, hey, what's your name? Or The bill passed unanimously out of committee on Thursday. Governor Dayton's asking for $30 million to expand access to high-speed Internet in greater Minnesota. He said this would help connect 11,000 more customers, arguing Internet access is critical for the economy. Right now, the governor says about 27% of the households in greater Minnesota still don't have access to high-speed Internet. He wants lawmakers to make the investment this legislative session. Thousands of Minnesota state employees are going to see new benefits after lawmakers approved a new contract. Governor Dayton signed it into law this week. The agreement includes a wage increase over two years for 30,000 state employees, six weeks of paid parental leave, and career development programs. The House and Senate overwhelmingly ratified the labor contracts on Monday. Minnesota leaders are taking big steps to make the state's election system more secure. The state is getting a $6.5 million federal grant to modernize its voter registration system. That money was included in the recent federal budget bill signed by President Trump. Overall, $380 million was earmarked for national election security. U.S. Senators say not enough was done to protect the U.S. election from Russian interference in 2016, and they want new safeguards this year. Up next, we will talk about what happened this week in political analysis and should the state put a stop to stocking muskies in Minnesota lakes. Their proposals being floated at the Capitol, and we'll have the passionate arguments from both sides. Muskie fishing season's right around the corner in Minnesota, but it could come with some controversy this year. For the third year in a row, the state is trying to pass legislation that would limit where muskies can be stocked. Josh Rosenthal has more on why anglers have strong feelings about the fish of 10,000 casts. It's never too cold to talk fishing in Minnesota. On the shores of Lake Minnetonka, we found Aaron Meyer, who's very much against the proposed muskie bill. Oh, to tell you the truth, it's pretty ridiculous. Wait a minute. And we also found Bob Sonnenstall, who's very much for it. I think we've got enough muskies in the waters already. So what exactly would this bill accomplish? Amongst other things, here's the big one. The bill would put a four-year moratorium on stocking new waters with muskies. Current lakes that are native or already stocked with muskies would not be affected, according to the bill's authors. They're concerned muskies are damaging other fish populations, like walleye, and they're backed up by folks like Sonenstall, the owner of Wyzetta Bait and Tackle. It's like throwing tigers into a pen of goats and wonder why the goats are all dead. And once you screw up the balance of Mother Nature, you don't get it back. Meanwhile, others like Meyer, the co-chair of the Minnesota Muskie and Pike Alliance, along with the DNR, say the science just doesn't support those claims. It's a basic flat-out attack on muskie fishing and the muskie program all across the state. If it were to pass, it would essentially wipe out the entire muskie program in Minnesota. Josh Rosenthal, 5 Eyewitness News.
There are 99 lakes in Minnesota where muskies are present, and 47 are stocked by the DNR. That includes White Bear, Lake Mille Lacs, and Lake Minnetonka. Now compare that to the state of Wisconsin, which has 667 lakes with muskies, and 199 are stocked by the Wisconsin DNR. And there's news about one of Minnesota's famous walleye lakes, and it won't make anglers or resort owners on Lake Mille Lacs happy. Earlier this month, the DNR said it will be catch and release only there this summer. To help with the walleye population. There will also be no night fishing, but there are no mid-season closures planned either. Minnesota's fishing opener is coming up on May 12th. Time now for political analysis. Joining us this week, Republican strategist Andy Brem and former DFL state senator uh, Ember Reichgott-Young. Thanks so much for being with us. Let's start with Mike Pence's visit to the state this, uh, this week. He talked about the economy, uh, tax cuts. Uh, is this a sign that Republicans are going to pay attention to Minnesota during the midterms? Well, they should. Uh, Minnesota's been trending red for a while. I mean, President Trump did fairly well here in Minnesota in the last election cycle. I thought it was a very successful visit. Um, the vice president touted a legitimate uh, conservative accomplishment of the administration, which was the tax bill, which has had great economic impact. Um, does a lot for the long-term uh, stability of the tax code. So I think he was here touting a, a great accomplishment. How do Democrats feel? Well, first of all, you're right. This is ground zero for the nation in many ways politically this year. Um, how do Democrats feel? Well, what I think is that Mike Pence is trying to make up lost ground because in the case of the tax bill, the Democrats grabbed the message first. They had the message that this was really about benefiting rich people and not doing a lot for the middle class. And so they're playing catch up. Very similar to what happened the opposite way with Obamacare where the Republicans grabbed that message and the, the, the Democrats were never able to overcome that. Similarly, on the tax bill, I think the Republicans are in a hole and Democrats are going to uh, be having the lead on that one. Speaking of messages, do you think the Trump administration is getting enough credit for the economy and tax cuts or is it being overshadowed by interviews with adult film stars and you know, all this turnover in the administration? Well, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of chaos in the administration that deserves criticism. But I think as far as the economic accomplishments go of the administration, they're extremely legitimate. I mean, what Ember's talking about is, you know, what can government do for you? And what the tax bill does is what, what, what can businesses do for people? People are seeing raises in their paycheck. They're getting bonuses. So it's not about getting something from government. They're seeing things coming from the private sector. And that's what conservatism is all about. We're not seeing very much yet coming from the tax bill. Um, and what we're also seeing is a White House that's embroiled not in controversy, but in, shall we say, uh, mischaracterizations or lies. In other words, there's not much that people can believe that's coming out of that White House. So I think that is also a problem in accepting the benefits, quote-unquote, of the tax bill. Let's talk about our leader here in Minnesota, Governor Dayton. Uh, we just did a story about he's pushing for more permanent pre-K funding. The uh, Republicans are saying we'll talk to the next governor. Is this a sign he's a lame duck, and how effective can he be for the rest of his term? Well, of course he's a lame duck. He is a lame duck. Right. Uh, we all know that. Well, you know but, what I mean, lame duck, meaning he won't be effective. Well, it's, it's, I think it's difficult for any governor to be particularly effective in the last year of their term. Uh, the governor, I think, has handled himself with a lot of dignity, fought for a lot of things I disagreed with. But again, you know, when it comes to pre-K, Republicans support that funding as long as it's going to people that need it. We don't want to be spending valuable state money, you know, subsidizing families that don't need that support. So, again, it's just a matter of priorities and using government money where it's needed. What do you think of it? 
governor is less effective in his last term. However, what, what you always learn politically is this. You never give something to parents and families and take it away, particularly right before an election year. Such as pre-K funding. That pre-K funding is one year, and that was a huge mistake to not make that permanent because you're going to take it away from families that were expecting siblings to come up or where other neighbors thought they were going to have it. So uh, politically, doesn't have much to do with the lame duckness of the governor. I think politically the Republicans need to do it. Okay, I've got 30 seconds. Will this issue have an impact on the upcoming election? You know, I think I give Minnesota voters a lot of credit. I mean, you say taking away something, they're going to get angry about it. I think Minnesotans understand that we should prioritize state funding and put it where it's needed. It's not needed. Wealthy families don't need aid to send their kids to pre-K kindergarten. As important as pre-K is, and I'm a big supporter, what the big issue in Minnesota is right now is health care. And people can't pay their premiums, and the farmers are working and looking at that. And so you're not seeing that anywhere in your show tonight. And that's what I think is going to be uh, what's really coming up for this election. Ember, Andy, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Face Off is next with Brian McClung and Sarah Walker. The fired VA secretary is not going quietly. We'll talk about that in two minutes. Minnesota has joined a lawsuit to block a citizenship question from being added to the 2020 census. Attorney General Lori Swanson's joining the lawsuit filed by California's Attorney General. They are arguing that adding a question on citizenship will lead immigrants to skip taking the survey altogether, and that could lead to more Democratic-leaning areas getting fewer federal dollars. The Trump administration says the data is needed to better identify voting rights violations. The census has not had a citizenship question since the 1950s. And it's time now for Face Off with DFL strategist Sarah Walker and former communications director for Governor Tim Pawlenty, Brian McClung. So let's start right here with the census question. Should it be, uh, with the citizenship question, should it be part of the census? Well, so this is a question that has been part of the long form from 1970 to 2000, and then it's been part of the American Community Survey since then. So the question has been bringing evidence of on that right there. here. Yeah, and so the question has been in a sample for 3.5 million people every year, and there's no evidence to suggest that people don't answer the survey because that question is there. So it seems like a reasonable question to ask and the kind of information that you would want to collect as part of the census. Is it reasonable? I mean, I think it's unnecessary, and it's another example of last-minute chaos by the Trump administration and Jeff Sessions and their constant attacks on immigrant communities. But moreover, this question has actually not been asked on the decade, the decade census since 1950. And the reality is, is we actually do know that it is very likely to just depress the number of people who respond, which has huge implications all over the country because $675 billion are distributed based on those counts. And the Supreme Court ruled unanimously just a few years ago that it is not based on the census should be counted regardless of your ability to vote. And so this is not true, and the data has to, by law, stay absolutely private and can't even be shared by the FBI, so it can't cut down on voting rights violations. Well, and, that and that's context. the good news, is that, under, like Sarah says, under Title 13 of the U.S. Code, that information is confidential. So when people answer whether they're a citizen or not, that information cannot be revealed to anyone, to the FBI or anyone else. So is this much to so do they, about nothing So that it's safe. It's, but it's a question that was asked during the period of the greatest immigration in the country's history from 17 
1890 until 1950, they, this question was on the census, and that was when we had more immigrants than at any other time in the history of the country. So it is a question that had been asked, and then it was asked regularly every year right now as part of the American Community Survey to 3.5 million people. The reality is they want to depress the counts on the census to actually, because it will actually disrupt their partisan gerrymandering plans in states like Minnesota, where we are poised with the population growth in the metro area to actually lose up to 12 seats in greater Minnesota. Interesting. Let's talk about the Trump administration. Uh, VA Secretary David Shulkin, a carryover from the Obama mm -hmm. administration, fired this week. The president says because of his spending habits, there was a luxurious trip to Europe with his wife. Shulkin says it's more about the fact that there's a culture in the VA and in the administration that they don't want to change. Uh, privatization to help veterans. What's going on here? Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that the Veterans Administration has had troubles for decades, regardless of whether it's been a Democrat or Republican president. So it needs to get sorted out. It's the second largest agency in the federal government, and so they need some consistent leadership. So I don't know a lot about this new gentleman, uh, you know, the personal physician to yeah, the, White the last physician. White House president or White House physician for the last three presidents, but they need some consistency. They need some stable leadership, and they need to do a better job for America's veterans. I don't disagree that we need stable leadership, and if there's one place there shouldn't be partisanship, it should be the Veterans Administration. Mm -hmm. The big concern is that, and this is nothing against Admiral, Admiral Jackson, it's the fact that he has never had an administrative job at this level, and it's one of the most important things for the men there's and women coming back from our country. It is also not a popular issue amongst veterans to privatize the VA system. Moreover, I would say that, you know, this is... He, he was forced to resign because he was standing up against privatization, and Trump is just creating chaos again to try to find a way to move his agenda towards privatization, which will not be popular. Do you think the president's doing this intentionally? Well, it's hard to know, right? And there's uh, lots of uh, back-channel conversations and cross-currents in this administration, obviously, right? We've seen a lot of turnover. And so, yeah, I think, you know, the reasons are not known to us as to why they let yeah. him go. He was a carryover from uh, President Obama's administration. Trump is saying, I'm finally getting to the cabinet that I want, so this is another step of And that. I'm out of time. I'm very sorry. Nice job, guys. Thank you very much. You know, one of golf's biggest tournaments is coming back to Minnesota. More of that when we come back. The Ryder Cup is returning to Chaska's Hazeltine National Golf Club in 10 years. Yes, those are the members of the gold medal winning U.S. men's curling team. Many are from Minnesota, and they were featured in the video announcing the Ryder Cup's return to Hazeltine in 2028. The 2016 Ryder Cup drew tens of thousands of fans from all over the world to the Southwest Metro. Hazeltine will become the only American golf course to host the Ryder Cup more than once. And a reminder, you can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We've got a link posted on our website. Just go to the At Issue page at kstp.com. And that's all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.